Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Bobak Hayeri. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another off-season edition of the College Football Survivor Show. During the season, we examine the past for crowning an ultimate survivor in each year's college football playoff championship. But here in the off-season land, there's an opportunity to dig a little deeper in topics facing the sport. One of those that stuck out to me is the issue of overwork in college athletics. Not just head coaches, but also their staffs. As rapid piecemeal rule changes have added things like the portal and name image likeness, NIL, that make an already intense professional calendar virtually year-round. I'm Bob Akairi, flying solo as my co-host, John J. Raja, gets on-the-job training as a new dad. You can find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show, where we have video highlights of the show, run polls, and listen to your feedback. Please take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We enjoy your reviews. If they're interesting, we might even talk about them here. So the issue of work-life balance in college sports was something I've been wanting to explore for a while, even before the recent stories of college coaches heading into the NFL. Most notably, Boston College head coach Jeff Halfley surprised departure last week to become the defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers. Well, we hear about it every offseason. I mean, right now, is Chip Kelly going to stay at UCLA or is he not? Who knows? Maybe as we're recording this, it'll be announced that he's heading somewhere. But Coaches have been grumbling about the current calendar for a few years now. One of the candid voices was actually one of the most successful voices. Georgia head coach Kirby Smart, after winning his first national title, uh, talked that summer about the burnout he was feeling heading into the 2021 season. But not all coaches have that opportunity to be so candid or, you know, maybe over possible concerns of pushback on the fact that they're already paid so much, maybe because of fear of turning off future employers. But college players are becoming more open to discussing and addressing their mental health and well-being. And I think that's perhaps a trait of Gen Z. The coaching ranks shouldn't be ignored as well. So for a discussion like this, I wanted to bring in a subject matter expert, someone knowledgeable about the industry beyond just anecdotal evidence, someone who's dug a little bit deeper. Matt Hummel is an associate professor in the sport administration program at the University of Cincinnati, researching human resources in college sports. He's an author of numerous articles and papers on the subject and has presented widely. He is a fellow of the North American Society for Sports Management, as well as the College Sports Research Institute. He's a host of the State of Sports Management, a podcast focused on the academic faculty experiences of those working in the field of sports management. And you can find him on X or a.k.a. Twitter, at Matt underscore Hummel. Matt, Professor Hummel, thank you for joining us. Well, Beck, thanks for that introduction. That was uh, way way too kind and uh, way too loaded with uh, superfluous stuff, but I appreciate it. Welcome to higher education <laughs> where we throw titles and uh, all kinds of designations on things that maybe aren't that meaningful. <laughs> 
Oh, I, I'm I'm a lawyer by background. You should hear how we introduce each other at CLEs. It's ridiculous. It's just <laughs> like everyone's patting each other on the back. Like you know, uh, we always joke. I mean, the biggest the biggest insider joke for for those in the legal profession is when somebody announces they they were designated a super lawyer or something that whatever the local uh, magazine for attorneys likes to tout. And it's like, no, your 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 peers all just agreed to vote for you, and then you vote for them. And it's kind of like a you know, we're all super lawyers, you know, and it sounds good to the lay people, but. Uh, <laughs> It's smoke and mirrors, baby. That's what we're all about. But uh, but to get to this, I mean, just to, just to lay some groundwork here. I mean, you and your colleagues have had the opportunity to survey literally thousands of employees at intercollegiate athletics for your research from coaches, assistant coaches, administrators, various staff. I mean, you've had a chance to 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 draw from an enormous amount of data, if I'm correct. Yeah, and to give some background, we we had started hearing from um, the practitioners, the people working in athletics. We would just be talking to them at meetings or whatever and just hearing about, like, man, it's just really tough. I think a lot of people are not understanding the difficulty, the hours, the the arduous challenge that they go through. Because uh, as you talked about, like you see Kirby Smart, you see him in front of press conferences and you hear that he works hard. But obviously he's extremely well compensated. So there is a give take in, with that. But there's hundreds of other employees at Georgia that are making the show happen and they're behind the scenes and therefore they aren't making anywhere near what probably are making whatever Kirby's making on a week by week basis. Um, and it just becomes a challenge and everyone's trying to, to move up. And so you hear about that, but it did turn into that. That was kind of the, the trigger of wanting to look deeper into this. Like, what is everybody talking about? Everybody seems to be frustrated. Everybody seems to be talking about burnout. Um, we're telling us about things that sound like workaholism, but is this an actual, are we just hearing little anecdotal moments from people or are we actually diving into the data? Everybody feels that way. You know, uh, before we move forward, I always like to, because some certain words, I always worry that, um, you know, the, the general public has different definitions. So when we talk about workaholism, how do we define that? Yeah, and I, I, I love workaholism in the sense of it's a word that's very theory driven, but it is one of the few words that I think a lot of people just throw around in conversation. Like, oh, I feel like a workaholic, even if it's just like this week or so, but I call it like workaholism is like this overzealousness of activity of commitment for work. And so what I mean by that is uh, I'll just say this, like I played pickleball earlier today. I love playing pickleball. Uh, to me, it's a positive. But at some point, I can get so inundated or focused on that, that it questions it becomes workaholism. I bring up pickleball because all of us, many of us, especially former athletes or whatever, became overcommitted to their to a specific sport, baseball, basketball, and it becomes like an obsession. And so to me, it's just more of, are you constantly thinking about your job, even when you're not working? Um, are you having a hard time unplugging from your work responsibilities and transitioning to anything else, even if it's fun? Um, is this something that you purposely make more work for you because it stays, you stay connected to those things? So that's uh, a little bit more of like what I, how I characterize what workaholism is. You know, I can't help but think of uh, that, that Jim Harbaugh quote that gets bandied around, you know, attack each day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. <laughs> and you get these, these individuals who are just like on a whole other, you know, planet when it comes to that. Uh, and then, you know, you're like, are they are they kind of normalizing what, what some people <laughs> might not be able to do and have a healthy have a healthy lifestyle? But kind of moving to the sort of the, the you know, again, having that opportunity to interview thousands. I mean, what are some of the, or I should say survey thousands, what are, what are some of those top level takeaways that you've, you've noticed, you and your colleagues have noticed mm -hmm. about what's been going on in college athletics for a lot of these people working in the industry? 
Yeah, but like, I think that's a great uh, way to preface that because I think all of us, especially assuming everyone here listening is like a college athletics uh, enthusiast in some way, shape or form. But we can talk about like in the last 25 years, man, it feels like college sport has rapidly changed. It went from you used to be able to watch a couple of games on the weekend to be available on ESPN or a, like ABC. And it's gotten to the point where now like all power four, a huge, huge chunk of group of five. And as a Grand Valley State alum, you can even watch some D2 games like on streaming online pretty easily. So right now it's gotten to the point where the media empire that is college sport has grown so much and has brought so much money, therefore, into the system that there's been this extremely like this increasing umbrella of coverage, whether it's media relations folks or there's greater compliance concerns, um, NCAA investigations. People are looking for more sponsorships and it constantly needs to grow because within College athletics, this is not for profit business. So you need to mirror expenses on the other side. If you bring in, like I'm sure Texas or Ohio State athletics is probably going to bring in $200 million this year, maybe even more. You need to find expenses almost to cover up for that because you being a not for profit, like nonprofit business, you need to seek out. So that becomes this growing avalanche of expectations. It's a growing avalanche of pressure. Um, like Reddit shows a pressure, like the the fandom, everyone gets excited, but that also means that if your team loses a game, then there's incredible pressure, not just on the coach, but then on lots of other people, like indirectly, because I bring up that if Texas fires their coach next year, it's not just one person losing their job. It's probably going to be like 200 people that might lose their job from um, coaching staffs, analysts, uh, athletic trainers, uh, strength and conditioning coaches, analytics folks, like their marketing folks that might be connected to that coaching uh, staff. And so it just becomes lots of pressure to win, even for lots of employees that don't actually have any direct impact on that winning. I love that because, I mean, most people don't think about the fact that, for example, uh, I can think of two of the most prominent coaches in the last few years. Uh, Deion Sanders has a whole bevy of people that just follow him around documenting himself and documenting his kids that are even uh, somewhat atypical. But but yeah, there are people that if he were to suddenly lose his job or decide to move on, they're all they are either following him or they're out on their, you know, on their own. And you think about Nick Saban retiring, and he's most famous for bringing that enormous staff with him, uh, or building that staff he did at Alabama, and all these these former head coaches or promising people who became analysts, whatever that always necessarily means in the the bigger scheme of things. But when he decided to retire, like man, he just cast a bunch of people. I don't think he cast them adrift. I mean, I, I'm going to give a lot of respect to, to the man, you know, and his the way he runs his ship. But I mean, you just think about and obviously all the head coaches have now moved because of that but i want to get to i want to get to the 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 current state of college football um in a second because i'm enjoying kind of understanding this uh this kind of bigger picture i mean because is there then a burnout problem in college sports just in general i mean i don't want to talk too much about football because as you pointed out the the head coach he relies on so much of the athletic staff, you know, trainers, um, you know, uh, the, the doctors, the, uh, the 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 people in the back of the house that are are doing the work and the logistical stuff to to make the program run. That also, you know, especially in smaller programs, they also make all the other sports run. So, um, how how is that affecting it? Is there is there a burnout problem that you've noticed? Yeah, and Bobak tying that in with what you said before, like what are some big trends? Uh, me and Liz Taylor, who is a colleague of mine, we write most of our articles together. She's at Temple University. We've like some of the big things we talked about that connect to burnout is like we're seeing that this workaholism, other factors are leading to people feeling like 
all kinds of negative outcomes, whether it's like depression or related to like feeling disengaged to work, uh, to considering a switch. Like we wrote a big article this summer that got a lot of attention about how the like the turnover in college athletics is almost twice as big as like their like similarly designed careers. And so if like you work in education, you work in business, you're twice as likely to stay your job than you would be in college athletics because the turnover rate is that high. Um, we have a project that's under review right now where we talk to spouses. I thought this was really important as we wanted to talk to athletic department employees. Like what are their partners experiencing? What's it like to work for someone that uh, maybe during dinner, they constantly have to have their phone right by them at any time and they might have to leave or they're constantly gone for uh, like Christmas. That was another thing we heard is if someone's connected to college football, Christmas is heavily around a lot of bowls. So some families are like, yeah, we actually never have Christmas on Christmas. We always have to have it on some random day because it has to be built around whenever the team is going to a bowl game. And um, we hear about challenges like that that are become issues. But another one we found out is a lot of people with families. Like there's people that decided, that told us that when they were going to get pregnant or their partner was going to get pregnant, that they would leave. And they knew just that the culture of college athletics would not understand or support them uh, rearing children. And so these are decisions, like it's obviously big decisions that people have to make that the pressure and culture within college sport really puts that pressure on the employees to either make altering life decisions that maybe they wanted to do but can't do to keep their job or make this calling, their, what they're passionate about, dictate their life terms kind of going forward. Yeah, I've read a few of the, uh, a bit of your work on that idea of the work-family interface and work-family conflicts that kind of come up in all of this. It's, it's utterly fascinating to me because, as you point out, I mean, I know with some of the research, for example, you did for the ACC had, had brought you in to, to, to kind of investigate sort of how athletic departments were working and how some programs were trying to bring families in to uh, into become part. Of, and some people are like, no, 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 I want that separate. <laughs> um, and there's this kind of like, there's no one way to do it. Cause again, there's so much individualism here. It's fascinating. Cause also, I mean, God, there's so much to unpack. Like literally any, any one of your answers could be like a 30 minute show in and of itself, or even a 60 minute show, or even a lecture. If we're going to go in the more academic sense, because we talk about, for example, um, some coaches don't think you can have a family and do it. Some, some try to make a family. Some seem to make it work and others, you always wonder when they say they have to leave their, their job because of family is like, is it because of family or did you do something? And you're just using that as an excuse to parachute out, you know, better to jump than to be pushed. Um, there's so much going on because obviously, you know, every individual is different. Um, you know what? And this is kind of interesting. How, with the family thing, oh gosh, how do I even begin? I mean, what what are some ways that you've found that that programs can successfully address that that the the, the work family balance? You hit on this earlier, but some athletic departments call it work life integration. That they'll try to have a uh, family forward, forwarded work event. So it could be like uh, uh, before the men's and women's basketball game, or before like a volleyball game, that they'll have a gathering of athletic department employees and their children get to play down on the court or something like that. Or you have like a a holiday oriented event that's kind of falls in between when sports are really fully taking off. I really push back as a researcher on that because it's always circled around something about work. Like it's never like, hey, let's go all to the bowling alley and just have fun. It's always about like, hey, bring them to the basketball game because A, athletics needs you to be working the basketball game, whether talking to donors or helping with facility and event management or whatever. So their thought is if we bring you here, 
that it makes it feel like you're checking the box on both sides. You're being a parent and you're working, but really you're working. And what it is, is it's bringing in the partner to then heavily be involved in that. And we saw some stuff talking from partners that are like, well, we used to go to football games, but now I don't because it's really just my husband or wife or partner that's working the game. And it's just me watching our kids. And I could do that at home without having to deal with all the, <laughs> all the like, like things that get distracting for children. And so I was like, okay, that makes sense. But um, to, one thing I thought was really interesting when we did some interviews on another study is someone said like, hey, when I go on vacation, I purposely seek out a place that I know I'm not going to have cell phone service. So therefore, work can't bother me, that it doesn't matter how hard they try to get a hold of me. I can't answer my phone. I can't have email access. So I forgot. They said something like, we always do our trip to Mexico. And it's because when we go down there, then I don't have access. And it's like, okay, that's pretty smart because it shows that these emergencies aren't actually emergencies and they can be survived, but then you need to like almost physically remove yourself. And then they realize that they can take a vacation. So that person was purposely seeking out, like saying, we only do vacations. Like we'll go to Europe, we'll go to Mexico, but we only go to places where they can't be contacted. That's a brilliant idea. You know, so much of this has made me think of an analogies in like the the earlier tech industry, like the idea of going to some place where oh my phone doesn't work, or um, but and and of course sometimes the work family. I love it. Work life integration. You know, it, it seems like a euphemism for you know no, you don't actually ever stop. You know, you almost think it's like when tech companies announce that like oh no, we we'll put showers in at work. You know, why why how long are you expecting me to stay here? Um, especially with the dot com boom when that was starting to become. I remember I was in college at that time. Um, in the 90s when that was really starting to rise up. And we were all like, that sounds so cool. And then somebody said like, but wait, when do you actually go home? Right? Yeah. Hey, let's put cafeterias in our building. And like, you don't have to leave to get food. And it's like, well, it sounds great, but. <laughs> <laughs> just stay at the Googleplex until they eventually lay up, lay off a ton of you. But, you know, it's just one of those kinds of things. You know, um, does this tend to only happen, I would say, at big time college sports or is it is it happening at all levels and or and is it something that's been bleeding into those other levels or has it always just been at that that stage for some of the folks at like let's say D2 or D3? Yeah, we it's not anything that we've looked at specifically. We have the data for it. I can tell you from seeing the qualitative responses, I think there's almost a different type of burnout. If you are working at LSU, you probably have burnout because of the pressure, because there are such high expectations. If you're working at um who Arkansas Fort Smith which is a D2, your burnout is probably more that they're expecting you to have multiple responsibilities that LSU would hire three people to do those three things. But I'll just stick with Grand Valley State, but Grand Valley State might hire you to do all three of those things. And you, there probably is an understanding that you won't have to do them at the level that the three LSU folks are doing, but they're expecting you to paper over as much of anything that gets lost to the cracks and to do those things. And so to me, that burnout is probably at a higher level of when things are on, there's no break because you have to fill one of the other roles that you've been res like been responsible for. And so we see a lot of that at the D2, D3, lots of shouting back to us about like, we have to wear so many hats as they call it within our roles. Yeah. We sympathize, for example, with, I deal with sports information directors and the ones at D3, they are literally the only person. So every sport. And then it's fascinating because some of the conferences will split up because the conference doesn't have like a huge staff for managing a sport. Like one SID will agree to be like, all right, I'll take care of all basketball, like conference level stuff. In addition to my task as being the only sports information director for the university. I mean, it's fascinating stuff, you know, um, 
And and just thinking about the rise of lower level uh, division sports, because for example, I mean, your own alma mater. I mean, I know now the Anchorbone Classic. It's like a big deal in D two football because it keeps rising up. I mean, even though it's not quite the same as as Division one or FBS level, you know, now it's becoming more pervasive. And and as D two is sort of like, oh, let's try and get game day to go cover that, which is neat and everything. But man, I feel bad for the staffs because even at FBS level, I remember when App State got game day. That that entire university, you could not get communications in or out because they were just in the bunker mode. Like we have a national <laughs> show coming to you know Boone, North Carolina. Like we only have like one road in and out of town. How do we do this? You know, so it's fascinating to see how some of these things develop out. Well, Bobak, what you said there really one thing that sticks out. So people that aren't familiar with D two D three, think lots of people are you like they have their favorite D one. Like at Grand Valley, there's a new baseball coach there. They like moved on from baseball coach that had been there for a long time, and they hired a new coach this spring. But if you go on the baseball page, just to show you SID, lack of like coverage, the last update was that they hired the assistant coaches in July, and there's no news posted on there since then. And I'm guessing Grand Valley baseball starts in a couple weeks. Um, like the schedule's up, but there's no press releases. There's no information about like who's on the team besides if you go on the roster page. Where like LSU football is going to probably have, I don't know, maybe probably 10 stories or five stories since the beginning of the year, even though they haven't played a game. And so that just shows like you bring up sports information. There's this lack of coverage. You have a certain small select group. They probably need to focus only on the sports that are active and everything else kind of has to fall off. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, you touched on this a little earlier about the turnover rate, how it compares to, you know, corporate and other areas in higher education. Um, Obviously, it's not universal across the board, but why do some programs do better than others in terms of retention? And is it is it a, a positional thing? Is it a seniority thing? Is it uh, is it sports related, like some sports more than others? Um, have you been able to get anything to glean from the from the data that you've gathered? Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of thoughts there, but um, yeah, there's probably a lot of factors. I would say um, like pressure to win, like how willing are your donors to push for certain people to leave? Because again, we're looking at retention rates. If you do fire your football coach, it's firing the entire staff. It's firing auxiliary people. You're probably getting rid of some staff members, some athletic trainers. So that automatically has a huge retention loss because you're probably firing. I don't, it could be, again, it could be up to 200 people, but it's probably more like in the 60 range that you're probably firing. And wow. that ends up having a big difference. Now, 
having good, like big leadership, we have a whole bunch of comments about people saying like their boss is a big reason why they've stuck around. Like when people are talking like, what, how do they make their work-life balance work or their work-life trying to do the best they can to balance that? A lot of them is talking about, I have a really supportive supervisor. I like this person understands my family responsibilities, all that. And then another one that I know is money. Like uh, it, it's an open secret in athletics about what schools are going to pay and what schools aren't. So it could be that you go to a school that doesn't pay very well, but you just know that in a year or two, you're going to jump to another school that has a very similar title, but it's going to mean that you get paid an extra ten or $15,000. And at the lower level, that's big because these people are making very little. They're uh, a lot of times being taken advantage of for their passion that they love college sport. And it might mean that you're working 30,000 and you have to work every football game and get a prep to get the field cleaned up and do prep ahead of time and all that. Um, and if there's weather issues and all that, and then this turns into how long can you do that? But yeah, so I'd say money, leadership, uh, pressure potentially to terminate people, especially the high level for power five. Um, and then also like, is your school in a place you want to live? If you're at a D2 or D3 school in a really small area, you might have a real motivation to leave and go to, I bring up University of Tampa. They're a D2 school, one of the few D2 schools that's in a major metroplex. They might have higher retention rate because the surrounding area has much stronger family benefits. Oh, it's so funny because one of the, but an interesting extreme that I just wanted anecdotally bring up is years ago, I interviewed uh, the Mountain West coaches and one of them talked about the difficulty at San Jose State. They weren't a San Jose State coach. They were just being polite. They weren't like trying to negatively recruit or anything. They were just like, it's it's tough at San Jose State because the assistants get paid comparable amounts for a G5 program, but you're in Silicon Valley. So the money doesn't really go anywhere. You know, it's like it's struggle. So he's like, they, they at the time, he's like, they tend to recruit really young guys or People who are already kind of like maybe they were a head coach at one point, they just kind of want to keep their toe in the in the the water a little bit, and they're willing to to, to move out there. But um, I mean, again, I love each of these questions because we could drill down so deep. But you brought up in this, you know, talking about the pressure on these head coaches, and 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 I've heard you talk about the radioactive radioactivity ring of coaches and and how that affects those around them. And I, I, can we talk a little bit about that? Because it's an utterly, utterly fascinating concept. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something I'm working on right now. I, I have a project that was led to this, you know, like toxic ring. I almost called it like a radioactive ring that the closer you are to a coach, the more toxic or toxicity that you're receiving as an employee. And I meant in the sense of like Kirby Smart gets paid a ton of money. Kirby could be a great guy, a terrible guy. But the thing is, is he has incredible amount of pressure to do the things that he does. And he's obviously very successful, but there's going to be lots of people that report and do important things for Kirby that aren't paid anywhere near what he is. And it's great to think about you as defensive coordinator and offense coordinator, but he has staff that probably are paid decent or pretty good for staff, but they have to deal with a person that has an outside responsibility that's commensurate to their salary and not the staff member's salary becomes this is like what leads to like okay should we be rotating around those people so they aren't exposed to this radioactive material all the time that the staff for kirby or for whoever should be rotated to a different sport after a while so then that way they can kind of take a breath and don't feel like they're constantly in that pressure cooker all the time it reminded me a lot of uh like watching the West Wing, talking about the 90s, let's bring this all back to, to old times here. But like you watching, you're like, wow, it'd be a lot of pressure to constantly be like part of the presidential staff because you're dealing with world problems. 
And there probably is some real benefit of like at some point getting a relief from that. But it's tough because you constantly want to live in that, like being connected to Georgia football is valuable. And so that's become something that we're looking at is like, are we seeing staff members or partners or children affected by that radioactive ring that is some of these specific coaches that could be toxic and have an outsized personality and extra influence and how it affects them? Yeah. So, I mean, and just to kind of, kind of explore what you're talking about. So it's, it, they could be a great person, but the, the expectations they have to put on everybody, because you know, I used that Jim Harbaugh quote earlier about like the, the level of passion that he, he was bleeding out and everything he did, but they put that expectation on everybody. And, you know, if you want to impress the boss, you want to kind of act like the boss, but if your boss is someone who has a level of intensity for their work that may or may not be healthy, but let alone for most people, they can't do that. Um, it can be it can have a negative effect and it can it can really break down some of the the the, the life the, the health the, the the familial relationships uh, of some of their subordinates who are expected to to perform at that because you'll sometimes hear that you know you'll hear about the coach it's like no oh, that person's great to work for because they're like oh no i mean well relative to a college football head coach it's like a little bit more balanced and then others that it's you know you hear about it and you hear that level of intensity yeah and this might be <laughs> something that isn't familiar to your listeners. But like one example is we talked to even some athletic advisors. So athletic advisors helping athletes stay eligible, they will be working indirectly with coaches all the time. It'll be like, hey, Bobak struggling with his classes. We need you, you guys to connect with them and help them with this math class or whatever. Like that stuff's simple. But we heard a story about athletic advisors saying like two weeks for the beginning of fall semester that they wanted to change their practice time from 8 a.m. to noon. And that seems simple. It's like, yeah, we, the coaches maybe even had a good reasoning. Like, Hey, we think noon is going to get the optimal performance or our games are going to tradition be at noon, whatever. The point was now you'd have two weeks before the beginning of the semester that you'd have to change a schedule for 120 players. And Bobak, you know, you work in higher education, like classes by two weeks out are full. And like the idea of maybe you can move five people and things around 125 people. And so that became a point of, Coaches were ignorant to the academic side because they just know it happens. They don't know how it happens, when people sign up or how hard it is, but they brought this problem and a good idea, but it obviously wasn't feasible at the time because it's like, you guys just aren't aware, but it became a pressure point where both sides were pushing back on how like you need to make this happen. Well, we can't make this happen. No, no, no. You guys don't understand. You need to make this happen. And it just turned into for them that it's like, we had to bring in the head AD to explain to them this isn't possible. And so certain things like that just can be grading for people after a while. Um, but if you're like an athletic trainer, you have to show up at practice at a certain time. The coach decides what practice it is. So if that doesn't even work with your family, it doesn't matter because this is your sport. So you have to be there at that time. So a lot of people kind of have to march to their to the coach's drum of when things happen, even if it's not advantageous to their schedule. Yeah, and that's interesting too, because with all that pressure it creates and with all the people who who are in subordinates and both in the direct coaching lineup, uh, you know, the, the coaching tree, but also in the, 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 uh, the staffing area, is there any incentive to be able to change it, to, to encourage different behavior? Can it be? I mean, cause I'm, I'm thinking about like, 
you know, I'm familiar with big law as a practice. You know, it's it's known for grinding people out. You go and join a big firm in, let's say, Manhattan, a white shoe law firm. They hire 100 associates and they know they're going to grind through almost all of them. Maybe a handful decide to be a partner, some will lateral out to be uh, attorneys and partners at other firms. But they know that the machine, people will keep going at it because there's that great pay. There's that, that, that thing you dangle out there. So just instead of changing the way they grind people out, they, uh, they end up just re- recruiting a ton of people. And then, you know, you'll get a couple that'll make it through, that'll climb out and either be broken or happy. And maybe just kind of that weird personality type that, that enjoys that kind of work. But is that, is that what we're going to see kind of, uh, sorry to go with that far in an analogy, but I, I look at some of these young coaches who want to be, cause there's so many people that want to be college football coaches or head coaches or maybe NFL coaches, but they know that there's this grind and You'll sometimes see, you know, I, I pay attention to a couple of uh, Twitter accounts that are that that are really in the like football scoop places that are for people that want to climb up into the industry. And you'll see like, hey, they're looking for an assistant. The pay is twenty five thousand. The pay is thirty five thousand in two thousand twenty four. And you're like, my goodness. And there, it's not like a Division three school is not going to have the expectation because if you want to move up, you want to impress, you want to you want to show that you can be coaching at that level of in, of potential intensity that you're, as you said, is is coming from that that top level. Um, so therefore, is this something that can be changed? Is, is there that incentive to do so, or or is it going to turn into something where it's just going to become a meat grinder? I think it already is a meat grinder. And but I do look at coaching and the other athletic department people different because there is still the care there for coaches that there are millions on the line that if you can dig deep or you're someone that you're genetically or socially or behaviorally some way can go to dark places. Like we talked about the Jim Harbaugh like statement like that's he obviously can go somewhere to a place that most people cannot. And then there's people like like Kirby that are insane recruiters that they'll never be able to give that up. and. Like some of those people have benefits where they just know, like, I'll just grind my way to the top and I'm willing to put up with that. It becomes a tougher economic concept for the staff, because if you're the compliance person, like, does anyone know who the highest paid compliance person in the land is? Like, there's a lot uh, more difficulty to decide, like, oh, man, Bobak's the best compliance person I've ever seen. He does eligibility reports. Like he can do them left-handed, right-handed better than most people. Like no one really cares about that. But the problem is the there's huge pressure on those because it might be like, hey, we found we found Bobek. He's this five-star running back at Louisiana. We need you to figure it out. And they figure it out. Like they make it happen. And it just becomes a question of like they just check the box. And so that's where the meat grinder becomes harder to conceive because you aren't valuing the very top people in those professions. But in the same sense, you badly need them to for institutional knowledge to maintain them. So you aren't constantly churning the new person. I think that's where athletics is losing, folks, that they're losing a big brain drain. If they're losing some really good, creative, unique people because they're putting pressure on some of these other career vocational outlets that don't have this infinitely high ceiling like the coaches do. But their expectations are similar because those are the coaches that are telling compliance or telling academics that they at middle of the night that they need to fix this problem. Because it's important to them and they're compensated for that. But those people aren't compensated the same level, but are being given the same expectation. That's a really interesting point, particularly about the those that are in those those staff positions that are not the, you know, the, you know, they use a movie analogy, not above the line, the director, the the actors, the uh, the producers, they're the people that all those other people you stay for the end credits that actually made the movie. Um, my goodness. Uh you know, kind of looking more at current events. So, you know, one of the topics that's been hot these days is, and I mentioned at the, the the top of the show, is whether or not 
college football coaching has gotten too difficult for some of the folks there. And this is, I know, a bit more anecdotal, only because we're talking about folks who who have a lot of factors going into the the, the jobs they do. Um, you know, and one of those is 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 Halfley at Boston College. He's departed to go join the the Green Bay Packers as their defensive coordinator, and and it's been interesting. And I'm gonna be respectful that there are some opinions that I think were a little bit more controversial saying, oh, this is actually just a sign that college football has become too difficult. The calendar, which is granted completely chaotic now because uh, incremental changes. Um, but, you know, is this something where we're seeing the college sports is perhaps becoming too broken or is this maybe just a lot of is this some people maybe reading too much into it? Because there's certainly been some pushback from other folks in the in the sport who've said like, eh, maybe dial that one back. There is a problem, but is it, I'm not sure it's become a critical uh, tipping point. I think people are having issues with NIL and they're trying to find outcomes or like a symptom of showing of those issues. And this is where I don't think people are fundamentally have a problem with paying, like compensating, especially for name, image, and likeness. That's obviously it's been implemented and it's probably here to stay forever. But I think some people are just worried about how much college football economically or as a product has changed in the last even just five years. I know we talked earlier about like in the last 25 years. To me, it's just more people are seeking out a symptom here that I just don't think exists quite yet. The people that are leaving, you mentioned earlier, Chip Kelly has been interviewing. That seems to be an open like discussion going on. Jeff Halfley left to become, what is it, the Packers defensive coordinator. And then the Kentucky offensive coordinator went back to the Rams. We've seen a few of these, but all of these movements have been players that ha- are uh, players. <laughs> all these coaches that have this well-established experience in the NFL. So to me, it makes obvious sense that we move from that. Would there be, would there be a benefit in perhaps, and I mean, this is, I don't know if it could, it could be done, but it would be, we'll, we'll worry about how it would be done to almost mandate a break for coaches. Uh, and I say that only because I, I, I am good, decent enough friends with an NFL uh, assistant coach who had been a defensive coordinator at the college football level. And he does exactly that. Like when the season's done for his team, whenever it ends, he goes on an international trip and just, I actually went to, I mean, the first time I got to meet him, I went out with him to dinner and I wanted to talk about college football and he did not want to talk about football at all. You know, he's like, <laughs> I don't I mean, it's like he's paid to do and live and breathe that stuff. So is that do you think the NFL has that benefit that college because of the incremental changes? Like we add the portal, great. We add NIL, great. Then suddenly the coaches are like, wait, so my players can now leave at any time and I always have to fight to kind of retain them, something that you don't have to do in the pros. Is that something that could be addressed in a systematic way with some mythical organization that hopefully will be created because the NCAA certainly isn't it now? that could kind of create that, that force that break for that mental well-being of the, the coaches that are out there. Yes, it is. And it probably comes from what is it, the AFCA, American Football Coaching Association. Right now, they do recommend stuff. But I know, like, for example, a lot of the head coaches do protect themselves. There's very strict rules on when head coaches in football and head coaches in other sports can go out and actually actively recruit in person. And part of that is self-preservation. It's like, hey, guys, we all get together and decide that we're only going to have like two two week periods where we can go out and recruit. Then we don't have to do that. Like that's we just have two weeks where we're out there grinding and then we're just we're mandating that the rest of the time we can't. So the same thing could happen is like, hey, we're just going to say for the entire month of April, May, that you can have no contact. You can do no recruiting. You can do no communication. Does that mean that it's not going to happen? Like me and you both know that it it will happen. But you could put strict restrictions on that. And the NFL does that. Like they have a collective bargaining agreement and the players are just as motivated to like, hey, 
we don't want you guys bothering the players for this stretch of time. And then at the same time, it's like, oh, great. As coaches, and we can focus on scouting and do things in the office, but we don't have to do some of the other stuff that might burn us out. And so, yes, it is possible. And it is there's going to be some self-motivation factors to do that. But there's also that grind factor of like, man, if I can just talk to like a couple of players during this period, then maybe we get an advantage comparative to other other areas. Well, uh, um, uh, Matt, I want to respect your time, but I have one kind of question I wanted to sort of wrap up here with. Do we think we we do enough to respect the mental health of coaches in the profession? We worry about the players. We worry about the staff. But I almost wonder, and I don't know, I don't want to imply that this is just a, a legacy of the, the more machismo-ish kind of, you know, just tough it out, you know, of the, the, the 70s, 60s, whatever. But is do we do enough to to take care and be concerned about their their health and and wellness both on and and really physical wellness because it's oftentimes tied to mental wellness no i don't and it's not even just coaches i think all athletic department employees could probably use greater access and ways to unplug i think that and that ties into the last thing is is there a way where we could mandate an unplugging action whether that's proverbial to how we can envision that what that would look like is it just needs to be done. It's easier for staff. I have lots of great ideas for staff. I've talked about requiring a disconnect that you can't go on email for like uh, like on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, you just focus on big projects or you essentially have where you tell your advising staff, like come April, May, we don't want you guys to be in the office for like an entire month to, to have some cool down. Part of that could be something where the it's going to have to come from upper level administration for the coaches, but it's like, all right, I need you to take a month off like and we'll let your assistant coaches take control. But then next month, how about we give them a bunch of time off? So then you kind of take the reins. Then that way, everybody kind of gets this moment to, to catch their breath. I think there's some personal care being happened. So I don't want it to sound like these guys are all just uh, in a sicko mode type thing all the time. Like everybody needs that self-care. But are we getting enough? I, th- I think the answer is no. We need to explore ways to expand that. That's, that's a Really interesting way to, to look at it, and I, I hope we do. Well, um, Professor Hummel, where can folks who want to follow more of your work, where's the best place for them to find it? Yeah, I know. I don't want to go full higher ed nerd and say Google Scholar, but uh, anyone can contact me in my email, which That's is great uh, site. <laughs> matt.hummel. Uh, it's H-U-M-L at U-C dot E-D-U. Or as Bobak mentioned, I'm on Twitter, and it's uh, Matt underscore Hummel that you can find me on there. But Anyone that wants to contact me, give me ideas, or like, hey, have you looked at this or looked at that? Happy to provide feedback on that. Well, thank you so much. And and I really, I want to genuinely say I appreciate the work you and, and your colleagues and co-authors um, have done on this subject. I think it's, as you mentioned in one of your articles, you, part of the reason you guys did that enormous survey was because there wasn't really any data out there. Um, and and it, it's important, and I hope we see more of it. And, and thank you so much for taking time to, to talk to us here on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. It's kind of cool to be part of the Reddit college football discussion. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, Matt Hummel is an associate professor in sports administration program at the University of Cincinnati, researching human resources and college sports. He's a host of the State of Sports Management, a podcast focused on academic and faculty experiences for those working in the field of sports management. As you mentioned, you can find him on X and Twitter at Matt Hummel, Matt underscore Hummel, H-U-M-L. And I uh, just want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank my producer, Joey Alberti. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can always find us at CFB Survivor Show on X and TikTok. I'm Bob Ekhairi. Um, Shahan will be back when he can um, from his early fatherhood. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good one. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.